Well, if you take your Bibles and open them to 1 John chapter 2. The title of today's message is Strength to Overcome. Now, this life is indeed filled with tremendous blessing, is it not? Most of us this past week have hopefully experienced much of that blessing with family and friends during this Thanksgiving week. There's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying all of God's creation and everything that that entails, including sweet potato casserole. My wife makes the best. Sorry. I'm partial. (laughs) That said, even good things at times become a distraction for what really matters in life. What is truly lasting? What's more, what about the evil distractions of this world? Paul demonstrated this type of of distraction in Romans chapter 7 when he said, why do I do what I don't want to do? Even the Apostle Paul was distracted in some form or manner. What is it that constantly pulls at the strings of our minds when it comes to the distractions of this world? One internet article listed several answers. Most of us are probably very familiar with these. The promise of tomorrow, the regret of yesterday, the accumulation of possessions, the need for notoriety, and then the appeal of pleasure. Now, from the world's perspective, much of these answers would in some respects be looked at as worthwhile pursuits. I just stated there's nothing wrong with enjoying all that this creation offers us, that God has equipped us with being able to enjoy it. These are pleasurable, many of these things. To be fair, though, if approached with balance, they could certainly be used from a positive perspective. These good things that we enjoy in this world that we operate in, however... If they're left to metastasize, if you will, they all could turn into a cancer of distractions. One which continues to spread with reckless abandon. One that begins to jeopardize all that is healthy and true about life. In all reality, each and every one of us understand what it means to be distracted by things of this nature. When we succumb to their fight for our attention, do we at times feel the weight of condemnation and guilt for our failure in these distractions at times? Throughout much of John's preceding context that we've worked our way through, he hasn't minced words, has he not? He speaks in direct, forceful language. In order to confront the false teachers and false converts of the churches of Asia Minor, 
He's uttered words such as, you walk in darkness. You do not practice the truth. You are a liar. The truth is not in you. You are deceiving yourself. Notwithstanding, though, don't forget what was John's intention in writing this letter. We discussed this in our introductory message from chapter 5, verse 13. He wrote that they may know that they have eternal life. He desired to encourage those churches as the word of God obviously is set for us even here today to encourage us in this church age. In verses 12 through 17, our passage for today, you're going to see John pause for a moment. After such direct, harsh words for imposters and deceivers, in a pastoral fashion, he's going to switch gears. He's going to look to encourage, edify, and build up the saints of God. He knows that their cultural context is hard. He doesn't want them to be discouraged or distracted as for us in the same manner. Our world, our cultural context is full of distractions and discouragements as well. We, as well as the Christians of John's day, needed and still need strength to overcome. We still need daily help to resist the temptations and distractions, distractions and discouragements of this world. Herein lies the connection to what is the theme of this passage, verses 12 through 17. We might say that all Christians have what they need to resist the temptations of the world. That is what this passage means. We have what we need to resist the temptations of the world. That said, how do we live in this world but yet not be of it? That's our question to answer today. And we'll look to three considerations for that answer. Would you stand with me, please? For the reading of our passage, God's authoritative, living, and inspired word. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who had been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world. Nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our first consideration is number one, to consider his relationship. Consider his relationship. Now you may have noticed, as we just read in verses 12 through 14, there's quite a bit of repetition in those verses. We hear of children and fathers and young men mentioned actually twice. Moreover, the benefits of each category, for the most part, are reiterated. So John is focused on reiterating and repeating certain phrases and ideas. We'll get to why he wants to do that. That said, before we address the consideration of his relationship, I think it's important for us to define the potential, and I use that word potential purposefully, meaning of children, fathers, and young men. Why does John make these distinctions? It's somewhat difficult in all reality to make an objective statement from the scriptures of what this means. Even the commentators are all over the place when it comes to understanding this meaning. However, we can make several statements that allow us to, I think, see the bigger picture, to not get lost in the weeds, if you will. When it comes to little children, as you see in verse 12, or children in verse 13, we can almost certainly deduce that John is referring to the church as a whole, all Christians. The context surrounding this continues to shed light on that. Look at chapter 2, verse 1, which we looked at several weeks ago. John said, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Or, in a passage that we'll look at next week, chapter 2, verse 18, John states, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. And then, verse 28 of chapter 2, we read again, he says, Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So, given this context, once again, we can clearly infer that he's speaking about all Christians, specifically the ones in the churches of Asia Minor. All of these believers, John considers as dear friends, children in the faith, if you will, Not to mention, John is very advanced 
in years when writing this letter. More than likely, probably in his 90s. This would not be uncommon to have a man in this stage of life identify anyone. Even John Ramsey included as a child. We love you, my brother. Nevertheless, what about the fathers and the young men? If all are his children, we can certainly see that he's identifying two groups within the larger group. The younger and the older, chronologically or perhaps also spiritually speaking. Moreover, it's important to note that these benefits can and should reflect believers in any stage of sanctification, younger or older. And that's important for us as we work our way through this text. That whether it is to know him who was from the beginning, or to realize him who has forgiven your sins for his name's sake, or to be strong and have the word of God abide in you, whether younger or older, this applies to all. What's more, as we mentioned in the introduction, whether it's our own battle against distractions or the churches of Asia Minor, the potential for discouragement is and was always prevalent. Are any of us at times discouraged and distracted given our own cultural context and battles? Has this contributed to a loss of focus upon what truly matters? If we look at the context of John, that God is light, that he made propitiation for your sins. He removed the wrath that each and every one of us deserve, that he is eternal and that he is incarnate, that he is perfecting his love within you. That God has forgiven your sins for his name's sake, as verse 12 states. Now let me repeat that. That God has forgiven your sins for his name's sake. I don't know about you. Matter of fact, I do know about you because you're just like me. We all need reminders constantly daily of who God is and what he has done on our behalf. As the old saying goes, repetition is the key to success. As we ask the question, why is there so much repetition within this passage? Simply stated, John desired to reinforce and to emphasize these benefits for encouragement. For edification. I need it. You need it. The Christians and the churches of Asia Minor needed this. So, with all that in place, what about this consideration of his relationship? This is what we need in order to live in this world, but not be of it. To have strength to overcome In verses 12 and 13 and 14, 
we have two benefits that focus more on his relationship. Look at verse 12 and you'll see the, verse, the first one. We mentioned it briefly. But John is writing to remind them that your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Let me paint a picture here to express the incredibly encouraging grammatical element in the original language behind this statement. There are actions in life that when they are complete bear no future benefit. However, how sweet are the actions of the past, fully complete, yet continuing to rain down and shower forth blessings in the birth of a child. A family receives a gift that is once and for all complete and beautiful. However, it's in that gift where the family continues to experience, continues ongoing to experience the divine blessing of a child and that children, as the psalmist would say, are a gift from the Lord. And this verb of being forgiven, the Christian experiences the comfort that their forgiveness is once and for all complete Likewise, ongoing in its benefits. We know that, we feel that, we embrace that and understand that on a daily basis. Consider this significant truth, my friends. Each and every one of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven by Christ, for his name's sake. Amen. Even in your failures to overcome the distractions of this world, never forget that your relationship with God is one of a loving Father, one of grace and forgiveness. So, there's also another benefit here, considering his relationship. We see this in the repetition of knowing him. In verse 13, as you can see, he identifies this with the fathers and the children. And then in verse 14, he emphasizes it again with the fathers. Now, this is the same verb to know that we defined last week. It's much more than an intellectual knowledge, but something that is intimate and relational. Furthermore, John continues to use the same grammatical element that we just addressed. This is a knowledge of relationship that was complete when Christ first called you by his grace. It was intimate and relational at the moment of his divine initiated conception and rebirth of your soul. What's more, through his sanctifying power, you continue to feel its effects. 
John spoke of this knowledge again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. Keep your hand in chapter 2. Look over at chapter 5, verse 20. Considering his relationship and its power to equip us to overcome the distractions of this world, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 reads, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Beloved, I promise you, when you consider his relationship on this level, you cannot help but be humbled by the sovereign hand of God's grace in your life. He called you as little children. He's forgiven your sins and he's given you understanding that you may know him intimately and relationally. This is the first step in overcoming the distractions of this world. It's in that type of consideration where the things of this world begin to fade away. Where we learn how to live in this world but not be of it. Let's turn our attention to the second consideration and that is number two. Consider his power. Consider his power. Now, last week we discussed the characteristics of what does a true Christian look like. We mentioned how after knowledge and then after obedience, then comes sanctification. Growing in holiness is a vital component of simply being a Christian. That said, it's also an essential element of power to overcome. To have victory in the distractions and discouragements of this world. And going back to our list of distractions that we looked at in the introduction, the world would certainly seek to empower you for victory. However, the major flaw in this approach is one of a self-reliance and a self-confidence in and of yourself. In verses 13 and 14, when referencing the young men, John certainly wants to encourage and empower his audience, yet he does so in the consideration of his power. You'll recall from chapter 4, verse 4. Look over there real quick. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Holy Spirit, divine power that resides within us is greater than anything that we may ever encounter in this world. That said, 
Let's look at the two benefits of power within our section concerning these young men. Look at verse 13. I'll read from the young men. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Overcome the evil one. And then in verse 14. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, as we focus on the young men distinction here, don't forget that this, in essence, as well, applies to all men, not just the young, as he referenced with his little children. This applies to all albeit understanding the potential for different levels of spiritual or chronological maturity, be that as it may. John wants to encourage them all by God's grace that they have overcome the evil one, that they are strong, that the word of God abides in you, in them, and in you, Christian, brother, sister, in Christ, Let's deal with each of these benefits individually. First off, this verb to overcome is once again the same tense that we saw from to know. It's complete and it's finished in the past, yet still it is providing ongoing benefits. Moreover, the word carries a militaristic sense of victory and triumph. Like a warrior who's conquered his ancient foe. The Christian begins to realize on a grander scale. The protection, the sustenance and the victory that the king has already provided. Hallelujah. Satan is indeed a roaring lion. Seeking to devour all that come in his path. And that said, when we consider his power, his power, we become like a lion tamer, if you will. Now, don't get me wrong. This has nothing to do with naming and claiming as if we are the ones that exert this power and influence. It has everything to do with knowing who we are in Christ and living in His power to overcome. John said it as such in chapter 5, verse 4, when he said, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Of God. It's our faith. Although, even in our faith, understood in light of a faith that is grounded in His Word, in His promises, that enables us by His power to overcome, to have strength, to persevere, to avoid the distractions and discouragements of this world. Secondly, 
He mentions that they're strong. Now he switches back here to the present tense. We've spoken about this now. We're beginning to fully understand what that entails. But he continues to exhort the churches with their ongoing spiritual fortitude. Their strength to persevere in the same manner. Might I encourage you as I encourage myself in speaking to myself, my brothers and sisters, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus and in his power. You will overcome the evil one and the distractions of this world because God has purpose to accomplish that. Know that what God began in you, he will bring to completion. What a great comfort and strength and motivation that is for us to avoid the distractions of this world. However, at the same time, heed his commands to be strong. Paul said it as such in Ephesians 6 when he said, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What's more? There's another reason why the Christian has and will ultimately become one with Christ. Why he will overcome even in this world is because the word of God abides in you. You'll recall from last week, this word abide pertains to never leaving and remaining. Not to mention once again here, John switches back to this tense that's complete in the past, yet ongoing in its benefits all of us, it was the imperishable seed of the word of God that was implanted in your soul, that which drew you to God in the past. First Peter chapter 1 verse 23 reads, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. Complete in the past. The power that abides within you was utilized by God and His grace to draw you by His grace. Likewise, it's that same word that abides in you, sanctifies you, and empowers you ongoing to overcome. Jesus Christ Stated it as such in John 17, 17, when he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So, from a positive perspective, when we consider his relationship and then consider his power, we certainly become more equipped for the distractions of this world. 
and our last consideration. We'll tackle more of a negative perspective, although if we're realistic with our environment and the culture that surrounds us, this consideration becomes a tremendous opportunity for protection and good in our lives. And that's number three. Consider the world. Consider the world. Now, it's interesting to note that working our way through this book, this is actually the first command of the letter. John charges them, do not love the world. A command. He then goes on to say, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's a couple things for us of importance to address here. Number one, this is a present tense verb. Why is that important? John is talking about individuals here who practice the things of the world. Ongoing, living a life that would reflect more of a permanent resident in this world rather than one simply passing through. We've certainly mentioned and we fully understand and embrace that there are things in this world worthy of our love. However, it cannot and must not usurp our love for God first and foremost. Our love for this world cannot be a reflection of the practice of our life, but a love for God. It's about our priorities. Secondly, what is he actually referring to when he says the world? This is important for us when he says, do not love the world. What is he getting at? Scripture always interprets Scripture. Listen to three passages of Scripture for a connection here for us to begin to understand what he's communicating. The first is 1 John 5.19, which reads, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Or, you can reference this later, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then one other. Most of us are familiar with this one. Mark chapter 8 verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And what do we hear? What do we see here? What are the connections we might say that the world and all its trappings, at least temporarily, is under the control of Satan. 
allowed by the sovereign hand of God. This is a worthwhile reminder for us all. When we don't consider the world and our adversary behind it, we open the door for distractions and discouragement. We've been called out of darkness, called away from the distractions of this world. The world and its possessions must be secondary. Even the good things, our spouses, our children, they're secondary in relation to our love for God. What's more, when we consider the world, we become more aware of its specific dangers. In verse 16, John identifies several of them. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the boastful pride of life. Now, this word lust, given our immediate context and its typical meaning, in Scripture, relates to a craving or an intense desire that replaces our affection for God. When considering the world and the dangers of the flesh, Galatians 5 certainly provides a direct warning, verses 19 through 21, when Paul stated, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now, friends, don't forget, take courage. By his power, you have overcome the evil one, his power. However, never let that confidence create a neglect of the distractions and temptations within this world. A world which scripture says is in the hands of the evil one. We must be mindful. We must consider the world that we live in. None of us, even as believers, are impervious to its pool. Likewise, it's not by accident that many of the lust of the flesh flow forth from the lust of the eyes. This world is often a billboard of depravity, Seeking to catch the next wandering eye. When we're mindful of this pool, when we're mindful of this world that we live and operate in, Job 31.1 takes on an even greater application for many of us. When it's stated, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Consider the world, friends. Beware of its pool and its distractions. 
And then finally, the boastful pride of life. What have we ever accomplished or received that was not from God? The world would certainly have us believe, look what I've done. Look what I have accomplished. This is an arrogance that could only come from the father of lies himself. When considering the power of the world to distract, humility must be our trump card. A humility that protects us from this boastful pride of life. And then finally, as we close, when rightly considering the world, we remember that as illustrious as it seems on the surface, it's passing away. As verse 17 states, yes, again, this world is now in the hands of the evil one. Distraction, temptation, and sin are rampant. Oh, but God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Its end is imminent. When we consider the world and its worthless attractions in light of Christ, we fall more in love with what truly matters. Beloved, this world is but a vapor passing away. In the grand scheme of things, it's so short in light of eternity. How do you live in this world but not be of it? How do you find strength to overcome the distractions of this world? You remind yourself that you are nothing more than a sojourner passing through a foreign land. As Hebrews 11 spoke to concerning the patriarchs of old. Why would we indulge the passing pleasures of sin for a season? When we can prepare to meet our Savior face to face one day. Spurgeon could not have said it better when he said, It is only a puff, a phantom, a bubble, a mirage that will melt away as you try to approach it. There is nothing substantial in it. It ought not then to be difficult 
to make a choice between these fleeting shadows and the everlasting substance. The man who does the will of God lives forever. Amen. That is our focus. That is our strength to overcome. To be strengthened to avoid the distractions of this world. Like the martyrs of Revelation 12, 11, We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We will fall short. And we will succumb to these billboards of distraction at times. But by considering his relationship, by considering his power, and being mindful and considering the world that is still within the hands of the evil one, we will be prepared, we will be protected. The word of God that abides within us will strengthen us and we will overcome by God's grace. Pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We exalt the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you have forgiven our sins for your name's sake. Lord, would you help us to consider this daily, that every sin, past, present, and future has been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Lord, you have chosen to bestow your grace upon us. You have called us out of darkness and now given us the strength and the power to overcome. Lord, by the power of your spirit and by the strength of your word, would you cause us to walk forward as more than conquerors, resting in your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.